Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Now, what you're about to listen to is a teaching lesson from our Wednesday night study series entitled, What is God Like? A Study of the Attributes of the Almighty. Well, hello and good evening. Thank you for joining our Wednesday night live stream. We are so happy you decided to be here with us tonight as we continue our study of the attributes of God. Can you believe this is now week number 12 of this study? I, whenever I started counting that up, I, I was really blown away. We've, this is our 12th week now studying the attributes of God. I hope that this has been fruitful in your life as much as it has been in mine. I know that preparing these studies has been, and just really examining and thinking about all that God is, has been altogether overwhelming for me. And I hope that through this, you are coming to know God more for yourself, seeing Him more deeply, loving Him more deeply. As uh, many famous theologians have said throughout the years, the deeper our theology the higher our doxology. And those are just fancy words for the, the more that we know God, the more deeply that we seek Him and know Him and understand Him, then the greater and higher our praise and worship of Him will be. And I hope that this study has been producing that in your life as we contemplate all that God is. And I hope that tonight's study will just continue to further that deepness um, of your theology, that, that, that richness of your understanding of the Lord. Tonight we're going to be um, really taking on a really easy task, and I'm saying that very sarcastically, because uh, we're going to be talking about the holiness of God tonight. This is a, a really challenging um, topic to, to discuss and to look at and to examine um, but by the grace of God um, and the Holy Spirit's leading tonight, um, I pray that our, our eyes will be open to see all that God is. So we're going to study the holiness of God. And, and as we've asked in basically every um, one of these studies, you know, you, I know that you're familiar with the, the, the terminology that God is holy, that uh, of the holiness of God. You've heard this before. But what does it mean? Do we truly know what it means to say that, that God is holy? So we're going to examine that tonight and to kind of get our minds um, oriented around this idea. Let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. This one's really easy to find. It's the very last book of the Bible. Revelation, we're going to read chapter 4, and then we're going to look at verses 8 through 11. Now, I'm reading out of the ESV translation, so my translation might sound a little bit different than yours. Uh, but if you're using a digital Bible, you can switch it over to ESV, and it'll sound exactly how I'm reading it. Uh, Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. This is the Word of God. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, 
are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders all fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, God, as we approach this this study tonight, Lord, we we thank you, God, that we have your your written, inerrant, infallible word that we can base our lives on, that we can open and, and gain understanding of who you are and what you're like, God. Lord, it is just such a tragedy that we have so lost sight of how holy you are. Lord, I pray that tonight, God, through this study, that you would use me to communicate the reality of who you are to your people. I pray that some might be saved. I pray that we all leave this study worshiping the one who lives forever and ever and is seated upon the throne. May you be glorified through this, Lord. May, may people come to know you through this, Lord. And may you use me for your honor and your glory. And I pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the holiness of God. I mean, first of all, what, what a powerful image this is into the throne room of heaven. It just, it, it's, it's just mind-blowing. Whenever we're done with this, whenever you have some time, I would, I would encourage you, just read all of that chapter. And it, it's, it's just a really detailed picture of what's going on in heaven. But as we move on and consider the holiness of God, um, as usual, we want to start off by defining it. And here's kind of how tonight will go. We're going to examine, um, we're going to look at the definition, and it's a two-part definition because there's really two aspects of the holiness of God. So most of our time is going to be spent um, examining both sides of this definition. And then at the end, uh, we will move towards having uh, just a time of, of understanding how we should respond to this. And that will probably be all that we have time for tonight. So let's define the holiness of God. What are we saying? We're saying that God's holiness is His inherent and transcendent grandeur in which He is absolutely distinct above everything that is outside of himself and is absolutely morally perfect in all ways at all times. We'll say that again. God's holiness is his inherent and transcendent 
grandeur in which he is absolutely distinct. He is separate. He is unique above everything that is outside of himself. And he is absolutely morally perfect in all ways at all times. We are familiar with the aspect of the holiness of God that refers to his, his moral purity. But the more primary function of this word is what we're going to deal with here first. And it is the, the first aspect here that he is in, that his, uh, referring to his inherent and transcendent grandeur, that he's distinct above everything outside of himself. We have a, a few scripture references here. First uh, Samuel 2.2 There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. Isaiah 5.16 But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Isaiah 57.15 For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. So as I said, we're going to examine this first half, and then we'll look at the second half in a bit. But to understand the, the transcendence of the Lord. A um, few more passages to look at. Isaiah 6.3. You know this one. We studied Isaiah 6 recently. And it's where the angels are calling one to another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And First John 1.5 that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then Exodus 15, 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Wow. Scripture is full of references to the holiness of God. Now, what is holy? What does this mean? I told you it had a primary function, this word does. And in the Hebrew language, the, the ancients would, would use this term, kadosh. And, and what it meant was to cut or to separate. And so this is the idea that we get with, with holiness, is that, that God is cut away from, that he is separate from everything else. And that was part of our definition, that he is, he is distinct above everything that is outside of him. That's why we get that definition, because it's based on the separateness, the distinctness, the uniqueness of God. I think about it this way. This will help us wrap our mind around this terminology. Uh, Gabby and I, we love to buy strawberries, and whenever we bring them home, Gabby, because she's the best wife of the year, um, she takes the strawberries and cleans them, and then she cuts them and puts them in a, a bowl and then puts them in the refrigerator. But that act of, of cutting, she, she's cutting away that which is not edible. And she's cutting away the parts that are not savory, that are not appealing. 
And this is the idea, the concept of holiness that, that God is cut away from, that he is separate from us, that he's, he's nothing like us. He's altogether different. Scripture often asks the question, who is like you, Lord? And of course, the, the answer to that question is no one. But even God himself will pose the question from time to time. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25, it says, To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. He's not like us. He, he's nothing like anyone or anything that we have ever encountered or come into contact with, we have no frame of reference within which to define what God is like and who he is. Now, holiness is not just an addition to what God already is. Holiness is God's nature. That is to say, it's not an aspect of what God is, but rather it is all that God is is holy. The entirety of who he is, the, the sum of all of his attributes, all that he does, all that he thinks, all that he decrees, everything about God is holy. It is his very essence. If, if, if God had a, a DNA sequence, holiness would be written into his genetic code. If God were, were material, holiness would be the very fiber of his being. It's not something that he does. He doesn't just do holy things. He is holy. He doesn't just behave in a manner that is holy. He is holy. And he's not just a bit holier than we are. He is in a category of his own, and he is the very definition of holiness. So truly, we could say how do you define holiness? God. That is holiness. He is holy. And all of his attributes are holy. His, his wrath, it's a holy wrath. His love, it is a holy love. His justice, it's a holy justice. All that he is, is holy. In Isaiah chapter 6 that we referred to a, a, a bit ago, we, we studied this a couple of weeks ago in, on a Sunday morning, and uh, you could turn there if you'd like. But Isaiah starts off saying that in the year that King Uzziah died, that he saw the Lord. And what's interesting about Isaiah's account is that he does not go on to detail the facial features of the Lord or how, how tall the Lord was. What he went on to detail was the holiness of God. His majesty, how glorious God was, the grandeur of the Lord. He was high and lifted up, Isaiah says. I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up. Immediately, we get this sense that this God is other. He's not like us. He's, he's separate from us. He's high and lifted up. He's, he's high and exalted. He's, he's high and lofty. He's in the highest place of, of all honor. He is entirely other. And had Isaiah stopped there, 
this would have been enough description for us to fall to our faces in worship before the Lord. But he continued. He describes this robe that the Lord was wearing, but he doesn't tell us the the color of the robe. He just says that the train of the robe of the Lord filled the temple. Now, you might know this or not. I'm pretty sure I've said this in in our looking at Isaiah 6, but, but the train of the robe of a king was what indicated how glorious or majestic the one who was wearing it was. So the longer the train of the robe, the more glorious its subject was. And here, God's train is not just long. It wasn't just a long train. His train filled the entire temple. That is to say that this God is the most glorious King of kings of all, and he is in the most exalted place. This is further evidenced by the incredible angels that were flying around his throne. Scripture says that there were seraphim flying around his throne. And what's interesting is that word seraphim, the word for the angels, seraphim, means burning ones. They were burning ones. They burned with passion and zeal and love for the Lord. I mean, they lived in his holy presence. How could you not burn? These burning ones are completely unlike anything that you and I have ever come into contact with, yet they are not the most glorious in heaven. Instead, in the presence of the Holy One, they have no choice but to be fully persuaded of their inferiority. And this is evidenced by their song that they were singing. Scripture says that they had six wings. With two wings, they covered their face. And with two wings, they covered their feet. And with two wings, they they flew And they were singing this song back and forth to one another, not directly to God. They were singing it to one another, shouting to one another, Kadosh, 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 Adonai, it's Vayot. And that just means holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. This is the only Song. This is the only attribute of the Lord that is spoken of in this manner. You see, whenever they repeat it three times, it wasn't just repetition for the sake of repetition. I know we have a lot of, of, of uh, quote-unquote praise and worship music these days that, that repeats a lot of words. You know, it'll say, oh, 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 14 times. This is not the same. They're saying holy, holy, holy for a very important purpose. You see, in the Hebrew language, they didn't have exclamation points. They didn't have a way to, or what the way that they used to emphasize something was by repeating it. Their repetition was a way of emphasizing. So what they were doing is emphasizing God's holiness. And to do it three times was to say that this God is is holy, he is holier, And he's the holiest, that he is the most holy God. None 
is like him. None is holy as God is holy. That is, he's in a, a league of his own. He's not on a list of greatness. I, I love watching football. And the NFL Network every year has been doing this thing, the, the top 100 players of the year. And all that they do is just rank football players, um, 100 of them, in, in order of greatness. And for that particular year, and they'll always, there's always that person, that one player who's, who's transcendent, who's just better than all the rest. But still, even as great as, as these football players are, they're still on a list among a bunch of other great football players. God is not like this. God does not make our list of greatness. God is on a list all by himself. Nobody follows after him. His name is the only one on that list. And it's in the category that nobody else is even in. This is the uniqueness and the distinctiveness of God's holiness. That he's all together other. He is nothing like us. We are nothing like him. He's not just a little bit better than our best day. He's not just a little bit smarter than the most genius among us. He's not just a little bit stronger than the mightiest of men. God is on a whole, in a whole other universe. We're not playing the same sport. We're not speaking the same language. We're not making the same movements. God's holiness is completely unique to Him. And it is for this reason because of God's absolute uniqueness, his, his absolute distinctiveness, that God does not play when people take him or his name lightly. God is all about the glory of God because God is the only one who deserves glory. He's the only one that is in this category. So he's the only one that deserves and commands that respect and that reverence because it's just him. It's not him plus others. It's just God, him and him alone. And this will lead us into our the second aspect of his holiness. The second thing to consider when we're talking of his holiness, and this is what you'll be most familiar with, is his moral purity. That God is inherently morally perfect in all of his ways at all times. We have some scripture references here. Psalm 145, 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and he's kind in all his works. Leviticus eleven forty five, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Psalm 93.5, your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Everything that God does is pure. He has never had so much as an errant thought. He's never 
just, he's never been wasteful. He's never even wasted a second of time. He's never wasted a one penny. He's never wasted energy. God is absolutely pure and perfect, even in God's wrath, even in God's executing his judgment. It is a holy wrath, and it is a holy judgment. His very essence is pure and righteous. He is pure in action, in thought, in desire, and even in motivation. Think about that. You and I, we're not anything like that at all. We're not even close. You and I have never even experienced a nanosecond of anything remotely resembling the holiness of God. Even our good deeds are done out of selfish intent. Of course, when we're outside of Christ, all of the good things that we do, it's because, well, it makes me feel good. I feel good to give people something. I feel good to do these good things. That's a selfish motivation. God is not like that. And some might say, well, God does everything in the best interest of his glory, and you're absolutely right. But in doing so, he is completely righteous because, again, he's the only one who deserves that glory. Therefore, him acting in the best interest of his glory is the most holy and righteous thing that he can do. And it's also the most loving, but that's a story for a different day. Even on our best day, we fall pitifully short to what God is. He is so holy and so perfect that we cannot even imagine. We have no reference point for the level of perfection that God exists in, that his essence is. We've never seen anything that is as pure as the Lord. Even pure gold, pure silver, none of these things will measure up to the perfection of God Almighty. And it is because of this reason, because God is so perfectly pure and righteous, that he cannot have anything to do with sin. He doesn't hate sin just because he's picky or just because he wants to wield his power over you. No, he is so holy that he must despise sin. And even in his burning hatred for sin, he is holy. It is a holy Hatred for sin. We don't see our sin as that big of a deal or consider ourselves to be particularly sinful because we don't know how holy God is. We don't understand whose sin is against. It's against God. We don't call ourselves sinners. We say that we have flaws or we have issues, or we have hang-ups, or I made a mistake. But what we're talking about is that we are sinners. We sin. That's all we do is sin. We, we don't just, we don't sin just out of, out of a whim. We don't just sin from time to time. We sin because we are sinners. 
It is at our core. It is who we are apart from Christ. It is for this reason, because we don't see the holiness of God, that we don't understand that sin is cosmic treason against the Most High God. We compare ourselves horizontally instead. We compare our unholiness to other unholiness. Well, at least I'm better than this person. I am better than that person. At least I don't do what that person that I went to high school with does. At least I don't, I'm not like my coworker who is so annoying I can't stand it. At least I'm not, at least I'm not, at least I'm not. And we're comparing ourselves horizontally. But, but church, we are not the standard. I am not the standard. Other pastors in this country are not the standard or anywhere. Priests, no human is the standard for holiness and perfection. Only God is. And whenever we compare ourselves to Him, that's when we become aware of how sinful we are. This is why Scripture emphatically states that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. James 2.10 says it this way, For whoever keeps the whole law, all of the law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. Why? Because God is that holy and sin is that bad. And you might say, well, that's not fair. I deserve more than one chance. God owes me mercy. But let's consider this illustration. Imagine where this quarantine is over and we're having a barbecue. And you are, it's the middle of a hot summer day. You're standing in the sweltering heat over the grill. You're the one grilling for us. And by your side, you have this perfect ice-cold glass of your favorite tea and it's delicious it is refreshing it's exactly what you need on this beautiful day and it's the last cup of tea in the whole house and as we're talking you see me pull out a vial from my pocket and I pull out a little ear droplet I put it in the vial I draw out just a tiny bit of some unknown clear liquid and I drop just the tiniest little droplet in your iced tea. And you look at me and you say, well, what in the world was that? What are you doing? What, what did you just put in my tea? And I tell you, oh, well, don't, don't worry about it. I just dropped a little bit of COVID-19 in there. But don't worry. It was just a little bit. You won't even notice the flavor. It won't change the flavor. Go ahead and enjoy your tea. What would you say to me? You would probably be furious, and you'd wonder why on earth I would do something so ridiculous. And then you would proceed to throw out that glass of tea. You would not continue drinking that tea. And you are a sinner. So now, in the same way even just the tiniest little drop of sin in our lives makes us completely 
contaminated and unholy and unpure before a completely holy God. Do you see the problem? We all stand condemned before him as such. In Habakkuk, it says that God cannot even look upon sin. It is this sin that we will be judged by on the last day, and God will be holy judging us in this way. But it is upon the realization of how holy God is and how unholy we are that we, like Isaiah, should fall to our faces, fall to our knees. Isaiah came into contact with the holiness of God. And what did he say? God, I'm glad to see you. Look at how great I have been doing on earth. Look at all of the awesome things that I have done in my life. Aren't you proud of me? No. Isaiah cried out the prophet's curse upon himself. He said, woe is me. I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah realizes that he is rotten to the core. Why did he mention lips? Luke 6.45, Jesus is teaching, and he says that the evil person, out of, the, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our mouths are unclean because our hearts are unclean. And Isaiah has just come into contact with his uncleanness as he is uh, confronted with the purity of the Lord. Isaiah sees that he is indeed evil. John in Revelation, when he sees the glorified Christ, he says that he fell to the floor as a man dead. He fell, he passed out, he fainted because of how holy God is. Peter, upon getting a glimpse of the holiness of Jesus after the miracle of the really big catch of fish, Peter falls to the feet of Jesus saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It is when we truly see God for who He is that we then can see ourselves for who we are. It is when we truly see God for who He is that we then can see ourselves for who we are. You see, He is holy and we are unholy. He is pure and perfect. We are sinful. He is absolutely without flaw, and we are hopelessly flawed. It's not merely that we sin from time to time, but that we are sinful to our very core. This is what makes the gospel so incredible. You see, not only is God separate from us in the, in the sense that he is distinct and unique, but our sin also makes us separated from God because he cannot look upon sin. As we have been discussing, all of us have sinned. All of us are in the same boat. We're all 
at the same level. So how does a just God, how does a holy God bring unholy sinners into right standing before him? How? How can he do this without compromising his nature? The answer is Jesus Christ. In the Father's holy love, he sent his Son forth to be a propitiation for our sins. He sent his Son to quench his holy wrath that was stored up against unholy sinners. This Jesus Christ was born as fully God and fully man. He walked a perfect, holy life that you and I are incapable of ever living. And after this, he went to the cross as a perfect, blameless sacrifice. And on that cross, God took our sinfulness out of our account and put it on Jesus. And as in doing so, God poured out his holy wrath on this unrighteousness. And Jesus, the perfect, blameless sacrifice, the Lamb, took on our punishment, standing in our place. And when he did this, he extinguished the holy wrath of God for all those who would believe. He died on that cross. Then he rose on the third day, and he is now seated next to the Father, exalted in his holiness. And if any of us, any among us, if you, no matter how unholy and unrighteous and sinful you are, if you will abandon faith in yourself, turn and repent of your sins, put all of your faith in Jesus Christ and his perfect work the scriptures say that you will be saved. He did this so that he could justify sinners without ever compromising his nature. So, how then should we respond to the holiness of God? Really quickly, I'm going to give you four responses to the holiness of God. Number one, be humbled. We ought to be the generation that restores the reverence of the holiness of God. That we don't take him lightly anymore. That we don't play around with the things of God. But we restore the reverence of God. And we approach him humbly. Not making demands in prayer. But humbly approaching him. Understanding that he is holy beyond comprehension. Be humbled in his presence. We should mimic the seraphim who covered their faces and their feet in realization of how superior this God is. Number two, be worshiping. Those same seraphim are ever singing of the holiness of God. They're ever singing of the glories of the Lord. And we should do the same. 
Psalm 29.2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. May our hearts ever be burning for the Lord, full of zeal for His holiness. Number three, be holy. We are reminded in 1 Peter that we are to be holy as God is holy. It is true that we will never achieve perfection in this lifetime. We won't. Only the Lord is perfect. Only the Lord is truly holy. But as we are in Christ, whenever He justifies a sinner, they are now declared holy in the sense that they are set apart, cut away from the world, and separated unto the Lord. And then the rest of our lives, we ought to be pursuing Holiness, growing in our holiness, ridding ourselves of our worldliness and our worldly, earthly passions. As we become more Christ-like, we will grow in holiness. And lastly, be ready. The last lesson from those burning ones, from those seraphim, they had those two wings that they were flying with always ready to do the bidding of the Lord. Isaiah, once he was cleansed from his sins, he said, Here I am. Here I am. Send me. Before Jesus ascended back up to heaven, he spoke to the disciples in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So be ready to be witnesses to the world for the sake of Christ speaking of His holiness. May our lives be of the sort that we might be called the burning ones. That we burn with passion for His name that we burn with zeal for His glory, and that we burn with love for Him. The holiness of God is His transcendent nature in being totally separate from and unlike anything we've ever encountered. He is morally pure in all that He does at all times and in every way possible. For this reason and for countless others. Be humbled by who He is. Be worshiping who He is. Be holy as He is. And be ready to tell the world who He is. Let's pray. O Holy Father, as we conclude our time this evening, Lord. I pray that you are stirring in the hearts of all those who are listening, Lord. I pray that you help us to come to a true realization of your holiness and that we come to a true realization of our unholiness and that that would produce incredible gratitude in our lives that you would have anything to do with people like us, God. How great is your love?
How wonderful are your ways. How high you are above us. How holy are you, Lord. God, I pray that we will grow in our holiness. I pray that we will grow in our worship of you. I hope, I pray that we will grow in our humility before you and that we will grow in our readiness to do whatever it is that you call us to, Lord. I pray for all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy to you all.